Welcome to Advance Your Belly Dance, a weekly podcast all about the business of belly dance. I'm your host, Jana, and every week you'll get belly dance business tips you wish your dance teacher told you when you first started. From how to start your first email marketing list to what you actually need on your website and everything in between. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this very special episode of the Advanced Rebellion Dance podcast. I'm very happy to be here with some veterans by now. This podcast, Lisa Zahia and Shahrazad. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hey. Um, this week is a, a different type of interview um, because I want us to talk about belly dance business mistakes we see happening all the time. Now, I have like a whole list of grievances, um, but to avoid going into like like just a pity party of like, why is this all happening? We're going to focus on the solution as well. Okay. So we're just going to go around and talk about the things that we see happening all the time. And then what would be the solution to that? Yeah. So Lisa, I'm going to start with you. What's one thing that you see happening all the time in the business world? I think seeing, like I hear dancers all the time complaining about not having enough students, but when you look at their marketing, they are marketing to make their peers like and follow them. And they're not marketing to the people they want to be their students. There's a lot of like uh, intra-dance, which of course we want to celebrate each other and we want to be celebrating each other. But um, I see a lot of people creating things, talking about like things that are happening within the belly dance world. And I'm like, who are, who are you? Who do you want um, to see this and what do you want them to do with it? And instead, like if I'm trying to fill a beginner's class, I shouldn't be talking about some very specific within the belly dance vernacular. So I think it it feels like sometimes it gets a little like a popularity contest instead of like what content do I need to be creating on the Internet to actually like develop a no like and trust factor with people who would purchase from me? That's a very good point. I often tell people you forget that you were a beginner once, right? And most of the people, no matter what dance they do, they didn't Google how to become a professional. Like no one ever, most people don't think of that. They think, oh, I just want to, I, I saw this, this is really cool. I like the music. I just want to move my body. I want to try something new, meet new people. And most people aren't coming into this dance, especially to become professionals. And so I see a lot of what you're talking about, Lisa, not, not just, um, just like wrong kind of marketing or wrong type of copy towards the the wrong type of audience. But I see a lot of shame-based talk when it comes to this dance. It's like, well, you should do this, 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 this. And people are just trying to, they're just trying to dance. They don't know what they don't know yet. So it's, it's, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, I see that a lot. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. And I feel like if I see people, like if I was looking for a dance class and I was a beginner and I saw somebody complaining about what happens in their dance form. Now I'm not saying not pointing out like injustices to me that's separate, but just complaining. I wouldn't go to them and they're not talking to me. Like if I start teaching a beginner dance class here, you know, like I love and care, care about Sherazad, but I'm not going to make a post that I want her to like because it makes me feel good about myself. Yeah. 
because she's not your target audience for for this particular like if you're teaching beginners yeah so yeah that's a very good point and I think especially with social media which is one of my grievances of course it is <laughs> that we'll get into um but yeah it's a lot of like how many likes can I get on this post like I mentioned like popularity contest versus how can I reach the people that are going to benefit the most from what I'm trying to to provide yeah yeah said, what do you think of that I totally agree on all accounts and some of the stuff I was going to talk about kind of ties into that because a lot of, I think a lot of the biggest problems we have are somewhat related. And so much of it has to do with the fact that so many people who end up doing this as a job are coming from the hobbyist mindset. And sometimes that transition doesn't happen because the way you need to operate as a hobbyist and doing it for yourself is extremely different from the way you operate when you're an actual professional, whether it's a teacher or a performer. Yeah. And that's not to say that you can't start teaching people the, I would say the more professional, like about the culture and the background, like you can definitely start that off in the beginning, but don't expect people to Google that when they're trying to find beginners belly dance classes. No one knows what rock sharky means. No one, you know, like most people wouldn't know. So it's just make sure you're meeting people halfway, I would say, and, and trying to use the language that someone would use. If you're, In the example that you mentioned, Lisa, with the beginner's belly dance classes. Yeah. Be, be accessible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's also really intimidating if you're like trying to find a dance class and all you see are like not only just words you might not understand just yet, but it's just like, like you mentioned, like if you're complaining about something or... It's like, oh, maybe I don't want to go to that. What if I do something? What if I'm going to be that that right. person that does that wrong? And yeah, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a good point. Shahrazad, what is what is your uh, belly dance business mistake that you see happening all the time? Uh, so it's a big one <laughs> and it can go into so many different um, directions. But like I said, it's, it's the separation between loving this dance and doing it for yourself as a hobby and making a really defined difference between that and being a professional. Cause I think in the hobbyist community, there's a lot of people, I think a lot of people feel like they need to call themselves as a professional once they get to a certain point. But in reality, you don't really have to, if you're really just continuing to do this for fun even if you do teach sometimes or perform sometimes, that's still a very different thing than making this a full-time job. And when you make that transition to really deciding to be a professional, you really need to commit and say, what does it mean to be a professional performer or a professional teacher? What does that entail? And how is that different from how I interact with people and conduct myself in this community as a hobbyist? Because a lot of people don't make a transition between those two roles when in reality it's so important the way you interact with other dancers in the community, the way you interact with and use language with your students and your posts and your advertising all has to shift because at the end of the day, so many people come into this business from the perspective of I'm doing this for me. This is fun for me. It's about how I feel and what this means to me. But when you make that transition into being a professional, of course, yes, you're still doing it because you love what you're doing, but your role changes so much to be about 
helping other people, about encouraging and making your students happy, about entertaining people on the stage. So you have to fundamentally change how you're thinking about your life inside of the dance when you make this transition. And I see that as being a big issue. And like I said, it relates to to what Lisa was saying too. Do you think that has to do with when, because the, the transition I usually see is hobbyist, you go to a lot of classes, you might join a troupe that performs every now and then, and then you start going to festivals, you start doing competitions. And in the competition language, it says pro is anyone that's been dancing at least this many years, if you've even done one gig for money versus hobbyists, if you just do this for fun or whatever. Yeah. Do you think that has something to do with it? The Just yeah. this language? Like I said, I think, I think there's too much of an emphasis in the dance world on calling yourself professional when you're at an advanced level. And I don't think, I don't think we really need that language because I think it, it creates a lot of confusion as to what professional really means. And then, and then if you're putting our dance form up next to other dance forms or other physical fitness classes and stuff, and you're saying, well, what's the standard for professional? It's very different. So I think we kind of overuse and overemphasize like the professional thing, whereas if you're still doing it for fun at the end of the day, that should be fine. There shouldn't have to be this push to call yourself a professional when it's not something that you're really treating as a profession. Right. And I think, think about like, um, think about what other people do to treat something as a profession. Like I have owned businesses for 15 years. I have a master's degree in it for my, you know, my other job. So I was like, do I have the equivalent of that for dance? And if not, can I prioritize the respect and love of the dance over myself? And maybe some opportunities aren't for me or I should give them to other people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Exactly. And one important thing, um, I know Lisa, you're going to agree because I know you're also a business coach, so you're going to agree. I think what's very interesting to keep in mind is that if you're making, if you are making this transition to prof- professional in your mind, that you not only honor the the culture and the education and all of that, um, but that you make sure you're not undercutting and underselling yourself as well, because a lot of the times. Um, we want to help, we want to, you know, give all that we can, which is great, which you should do. But then we start undermining ourselves in like dollar value. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, well, I love this so much. I should be doing this for free. It's like, no, why, why it's, if this is what you chose to do as a profession, you need to take it as seriously as anything else, pay yourself. (laughs) Like you have to, you know, raise those prices. You have to make sure to pay yourself. Yeah. And make sure you're making a profit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big problem, especially in the teaching world. We have now that there are so many events that are basically pay to play. And, and like you said, like you have to take into consideration sometimes like, yes, I'm excited to have this opportunity and this is fun for me and I'm able to do this because I have another job. But what is that doing to people who are relying on this as their actual job who could never pay to be featured at an event like that, you know? So there's some hard situations like that where I think the line needs to be more defined. 
between professional and I'm just doing this for fun. You know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. I personally, I lost early on workshop opportunities like that where I would be invited um, for like a weekend event. And, but they basically wanted me to pay for everything yep. and just pay me like this much for the event. And I'm like, I'm a working dancer. Like if I go away for a weekend, I'm, I have to cancel all of my work. Like it's not feasible as a professional to do something like that. And I think we need to think about that more in the dance community as far as fostering professional dancers. Agreed. Yeah. Very good point. My, my little, my little grievance, I would say, and I shouldn't call it a grievance, but a mistake that I see all the time. And of course it has to do with social media. If anyone that's been listening to this podcast knows I have a special, special um, pain uh, with social media, but it's don't put your best work on platforms you do not own. Now, what I mean by that is I see so many wonderful dancers doing these amazing interviews like Instagram lives and these tips and videos. And it's amazing. Cool that you are on top of it with your social media game far beyond me. I post once a week, if that, <laughs> like, I know I could do better, but if your Instagram account gets hacked and Shahrazad, you probably know this. I think you just got your Instagram back. My Facebook account is still in the wind. I don't know what's happening with that. Um, if it gets hacked, all your stuff, it's gone. Yes. You lose everything. You lose everything. It's very difficult to get back because these are, if there is a, an actual live person in the customer services department and not just AI, like like a robot trying to, you know, just give you like helpful articles and then it leads you to a dead end. They are probably overworked and underpaid. They're not going to get to everything like, and your mm-hmm. account is not a priority. So there have been even more instances in the last, especially in the last year of like smaller businesses getting hacked because they know that especially artists, they make their money posting their art on Instagram. And if that gets hacked, like who's going to be more likely to pay to get their account back versus someone that, you know, a celebrity where they have a legal team to get things back. Yeah. So it just drives me insane when I see people posting these amazing, this amazing content on a platform that you can't even search for. Even if you're like, oh, I don't feel like putting out a podcast or you, even if like YouTube is still social media, but you can at least search for it. Like you can have the video up. Um, so and you can monetize fun. it. <laughs> yes. And you can monetize it. That's true. And so I just really urge people to just consider just saving that and just posting it somewhere else just to have it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say be smart about it because Facebook, as the owner of both of those large platforms, allows you to own your video and you can download any video that you've done live. So I own all mine. Also, if you use a third-party software um, to as the video, you can save the video and use it for other things. So like I do on my Facebook Lives through software called Ecamm Live and I own all the videos and I have them. Yeah. So like, if you are going to do something like that, save it. Yes. Yes. And when people, and you can repurpose it, you can create from that one video, you can create 10 different smaller pieces of content for, if you just wanted for Instagram, you know, and it's just so much better if you just have it in a place where people can actually search for it. Because if you did something a week ago, I'm not scrolling through to try to see what that was. And there's no way, at least at the time of this recording, there was some talk about Instagram doing more like Pinterest type like searches, but that hasn't happened yet. There's no way to search for a particular piece of, of content on your profile just by searching for it. And even if that is the case, that would have, it just please for the love of God, keep it on your own website. It just drives me insane. Yeah. There's a reason if you put a video up that you can't download and put it to YouTube, it should take you less than two minutes. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And a slightly re- related thing is when you go into the bi- business aspect of this dance, like taking into consideration things like copyright and watermarks and logos. These are all things that become so important when you are a professional and you start to put a lot of more detailed content out on the internet. So thinking about copywriting when it comes to the music, like what your issues are going to be with that, how you can actually pay artists that are working with you for your music so you can actually own your content. Because I don't think people think about those things. You have to have the copyright notice on your videos, you have to have your logo, and then you have to take in consideration how much of this do I own based on what other material I was using inside of it. And all that stuff's pretty easy to do. Yes. And but these are just the steps for being... Stop putting I don't have rights to this music on the video. Nope, it is not a human who's taking your video down. It's a computer. Stop yeah. it. It yeah. doesn't do anything. That makes it me do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too, especially YouTube in the last few months. It's really cracked down on a lot. Like every other video has been taken down a few if there's a copyright right. notice on it. And if you're like, oh, I want to do this, but YouTube doesn't work. Vimeo is another option. You can just host it through your website. You can have a newsletter series. If you want to do a podcast, you can do a podcast as well. I'm a big fan of those. I will listen to it. So just please, um, if you do have these fantastic interviews that I keep seeing on, on, on Instagram and these tips, please just put it somewhere else because like it's, I, I would never build a house on a property that I do not own, right? So that's kind of what you're doing. You're putting your content on something that you have no control over. And like you mentioned, Lisa, it's it's not a human being behind that. Otherwise, none of these platforms would be functional at all. If it was a if it was, if, if it was a human being checking every video, it's it's robots, it's AI. So yeah. yeah. And maybe your video got taken down because like you don't own the music like that. Technically, even if it's Beyonce and you're like, she's rich, like don't steal from other people. Yeah. She's rich for a reason. Cause she's a smart business. Woman. <laughs> so let's keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that is my little grievance about uh, social media. I have many things to say about social media, but that I'll keep that one because I just keep seeing these people I follow and it's amazing stuff, but I just wish it were somewhere else. Um, because I'm not going to watch it in real time. I want to save it, watch it. And then who knows if it's even going to be there, if it's going to get taken down or whatnot. Lisa, what is your second uh, business mistake you see? This is my, I say this all the time. Don't take advice from somebody who hasn't done what you want to do and hasn't helped other people do it. I have to say this as a, as a, like a veteran business coach, I see terrible business advice all the time. And I'm like, who is this coming from? If people want to have a $10,000 a month business, you need to go to somebody who's done it and who's helped other people. Also fitness. Don't listen to people who don't know what they're talking about. Shahrazad and I are both like, but like you can get really hurt. You can hurt your business. You can like, you can hurt your reputation. You can hurt. But like for me, go to a business coach who knows what they're doing and who's done what you want to do. Go to a fitness professional, go to a dance teacher who has a strong background. I think that I see a lot of bad advice because people are trying to get popular with each other, which connects to my first one. And I'm like, that's, you know, from, from my perspective, cause it's business, people say stuff and I'll be like, that's just not even 
or fitness. That's not true. What would you say uh, to people that are like, okay, great. I understand that. But what about my imposter syndrome? What if I feel like I am not there yet, or I'm trying to build a product or service that's trying to help other people, but I don't feel confident enough to to put myself at this place of, of all these other coaches that have done that. Because I feel like a lot of people, they, again, I teach a lot of women, women belly dancers, and it's just this imposter syndrome that pops up. So it's like, I want to encourage people to, to go after something that they want to do to try something new, but I also want them to be realistic about where they currently are. Do you know what I mean? I would say you should be paying a trusted mentor who would tell you when you're ready? That would be my answer. Like, like if somebody was trying to coach um, dancers, I'd be like, you need to have like all coaches need coaches. You need to have a dance coach. Like if somebody came to me and they were like, we want you to teach, um, we want you to do a lecture on like the history of belly dance. I would refer it to. I don't. know, We're all in different positions on each other. Zoom. <laughs> yes, she hears that. It's down here as well. <laughs> My friend in Egypt, she should do it. If somebody said, hey, how'd you build a $20,000 a month business? They should send it to me. Honestly, if it's like a language or like even as a fitness background, I wouldn't take a lot of stuff because there's people who are better at it than me. And But like I would get a mentor who's going to help you know when it's time. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That That would be my answer to that. What do you think of that? I would say related, yes, um, to what your comment was. But this is this is a general issue I see in the dance community, but specifically with dancers that that want to go pro is like train smart. Really seek out people that are going to help you meet your personal goals. Cause there's so many people I see that'll just take whatever workshop pops up or whatever class and just keep on going and going and going. But if you don't have a specific goal in mind and you're not really selecting teachers based on that, you usually waste a lot of time and money. And you usually also get more confused because you're getting all of this different information. And then it's easier to have imposter syndrome because you feel aimless when you're learning, you really have to methodically choose who you're going to work with based on the goals you need. So it's, it's similar. Um, so like if I wanted to be better at teaching, you can also look outside of the dance community. And when you become a professional dancer, this is so important. If I want to be better at breaking down movement and understanding my body, I could seek out a a dancer that has a lot of training in that, or I could seek out the help of another professional. Like if I want to understand my muscles and my movements better, maybe go to another bodywork professional, like a physical therapist who can help you pinpoint the muscles you're using for what and how you can help your students adjust. So it, for me, it's all about training smart and not just taking anything not just being, oh, this teacher is famous, so I should take their class. Like you have to have a goal in mind when you go into your training because your training is an investment. Like if you're going into, let's say like medical school and your goal is to be this kind of doctor, you wouldn't do just any related continuing education workshops. Or if I'm a fitness instructor and I I specialize in Pilates, I'm going to go specifically for this kind of 
training and these kind of workshops, not just anything related to fitness, because then I'm just going to get confused. Mm-hmm. That's a huge issue, not just with with pro dancers, but with a lot of dancers is having that direction. It's a good point. So niching down not only your business, but your training that um, and you're right, that does save a lot of time and effort and money. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Shahirzad, what is your number two business mistake? Being careful with words. And this is really important on social media for performers and teachers, but also teachers in the classroom. Uh, Being really, really careful about the vocabulary you're using, not just about yourself, but about your students. Um, And again, it it comes back to the hobbyist versus professional, because you have to realize that the things you say about yourself or about the dance, the vocabulary you use can really affect the way that people are receiving information from you and also just perceiving you. There's so much that you can give in class with your vocabulary and in your advertising. So be really methodical about what you want to convey, what mood you want to convey when you're teaching or when people read your content, what do you want them to take away from that? Not just, I want this person to like me. I want people to think I'm impressive. Like you have to think, what do I want the effect to be? Do I want people to walk away from my content and my classes being happy or being curious or being inspired? Because a lot of times things can get really negative, both in what people post and how people teach, whether it's negative self-talk, a teacher talking about themselves, negative talk about other teachers, negative talk about students. Like we really need to be aware that our words carry great weight when we are professionals and when we are in the classroom. And that's part of being a professional is is choosing your vocabulary and how you use it very carefully to make sure you're conveying the message that you want as a dancer. That's a big one. Especially the the self-talk um, in, again, I go back to most of us teach women, female belly dancers, um, and we already have a whole lot of things going against us when it comes to body confidence. And then to, to have someone that you consider a mentor, someone that you see on a regular basis, engaging in negative self-talk or body talk, it's, that's such an impact that I think a lot of teachers don't know. Um, that happens. So that's a good point. Yeah. And it's a big difference again, from being a hobbyist and things being about you just switching and realizing that like people are really listening to everything you say and you do have a big effect on people, especially when you teach classes and stuff. Lisa, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah. I think that, um, I, I would say don't like really watch saying anything negative about yourself at all in classes, realizing that people are looking up to you. And also like, if I was like, Oh, I'm fat, which I've heard a lot of teachers like make derogatory comments about their bodies. I'm like, you've just excluded anybody who's naturally as beautiful, but bigger than you. Um, or I'm not good at this. The other thing is like, um, Sherrod said, and I've talked about a lot of this, like watching your like, like I'm constantly thinking about like, uh, like I went through a phase where I really worked on ungendering everything. And, um, but just like, like I always think in make it inclusive, not exclusive. 
And that goes into the same thing. It kind of ties back to what I was saying in the very beginning. Like you don't impress your peers. You really got to think about the students in the room and then them having the best possible experience. And the thing I would tie into that is don't be afraid to say, I don't know. You know, we hear so many myths about belly dance, which then are like erasing a culture that where this actually comes from. So just be like, I don't know. Let me find out. Yeah. That's or for to people that you're like, oh, I'm not sure, but you know who you can look up that would probably know the answer is this person. Like, don't be afraid. Tying into what you said about just the language in general, just don't be afraid to talk about other dancers in a good in a good way. Like, don't be afraid to refer your students. Like, they're not going. If anything, it's going to help them. It's not taking away business from you. I feel like anything that's meant for you is not going to pass you by, right? So it'll only help especially if you're there as a teacher to help students with yeah. their knowledge and style and everything in this dance, then definitely refer other people, mention and credit the, other dancers. One of the very first things that I noticed about Shahrazad is how much she celebrated other dancers. And as somebody who's at the top of her game, I mean, like, I think we would all say that about you. Like, she's not like, oh, that, this, this, that, nah, nah, which happens more than we'd all like to admit like she would tell me about people that she was working with just with like all an admiration. And like, that made a big impression on me. And I think that that, I mean, hopefully I, she's not doing that from a, like a marketing standpoint, but I do think it's conscious because oftentimes we connect other women with gossip to like step out of that and, and not do it and like step into it with confidence. Cause if I'm confident in myself, I don't feel the need to talk about other people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a big one. Yeah. And even as someone, even just like you mentioned, she does this just because that she's that way. That's wonderful. But even if you're looking at just from a marketing perspective, someone that actively searches for people to interview and potentially collaborate with or take, you know, promote, like I let any guests on, on this podcast promote things. And I look into is this person problematic or not? And that I will tell you, I don't like doing that. I don't, it's, it kills my soul to have to be like, have they posted some, something very, I don't know, horrible recently. Like I don't, you know, and I don't want to do these deep dives, but if someone comes recommended to me often, and Lisa, you actually did recommend Shahrazad, like, and, and I'm sure Sarah, you might've heard something about this pie. You're like, Oh, I feel safe to like go on this and like to, to, you know, be interviewed, like things work both ways. Right. So you are more likely to get opportunities if you are just not a horrible person. Right. And I don't want to have to do deep dives um, to see if people are problematic or not, because it also, it affects, you know, the branding of, of what I do. And it also takes away opportunities for you. If you are the type of person that all you do is complain. Right. So definitely a good point to think about a long time ago I was taking private lessons with David and he said to me every time you're worried about your career you should go and practice or study and if you get better only good things will happen so I will apply the same thing to the internet like go promote yourself celebrate other people love on people but every time you go on there to talk trash or like tell people what to do with their lives Think about like the best thing we can do to elevate this dance, to elevate inclusivity in this dance, go take an action, make your class more inclusive, um, create scholarships for the people you want to be there, get better at dancing, learn more about Arabic culture. Yeah. Get off the internet. 
instead of wasting time on things you don't like, spend your time promoting things or artists that are in line with what you believe in, what you want to see. And I think that a lot of times people get so carried away with negativity that they, that they don't realize that you're just wasting your time and you're just bringing more and more and more attention to this thing you don't like. If you have the platform online, use it for positivity and promote the things you like and take action towards seeing more of what you like, put it out there and let that be your inspiration to fuel new projects and collaborating with other artists that you really believe in what they're doing. Um, Cause I think when you only trash people, that says a lot about what your intentions are with your art and with your work. And honestly, like I also look, cause this is really important to me for me is that if I'm going to be like, like I'm just, just a one topic I really believe in. Yes, of course, I think Black Lives Matter. That's very important and we should be elevating. Did you go and hire a dancer of color? Did you pay them? Because if you say that, I want to see the action. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's everything. I just have, yeah, that that could be a whole other episode entirely um but yeah i even mentioned this in the most recent uh did a copywriting training about a month ago and i did a deep dive in copywriting and all the types of uh things that you can post on social media base it into four groups and uh one of those groups is is shame or shock and that is a huge thing on social media because it evokes emotion and long story short i basically told dancers obviously don't do that please there's enough shame on the internet enough shock on there to get you enraged all the time um try to you know focus on education and inspiration but yeah that's true it's this social media is designed to keep you not just social but the internet anything that you put it's designed to keep you engaged and the way to keep you engaged is to get you emotional even if that emotion is bad so yeah and as a little aside definitely anyone who hasn't seen a uh, bo burnham's comedy special he talks a lot about um i'm really into comedy i love bo burnham but he, he has a really good uh I just, I want uh, my business aspirations actually to, to just be like him, just to go silent for years and just pop up with something fucking amazing. Like that is my, he is my inspiration. But anyway, to, um, as an aside, he definitely talks um, a lot about, about the, the internet and the, and the way of the state of the world um, currently. So definitely go listen to that. If you feel like listening to something that will also make you laugh, but also Enraging. Also making it fast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm waiting because I need to be in the right headspace where I know I'm gonna laugh, but also be like super depressed at the same time. But I love it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, not to turn into like a yeah, a Burnham like appreciation episode, but just definitely go listen to him. I have like listen to his album is actually on Spotify. You can listen to that too. So anyway. <laughs> but yeah, very important. My number two uh business mistake. It's very technical, but um, it relates to to not just email marketing, but just everything in general. Don't expect people to remember your offers. Like you have to say it more than once and multiple times. People are very self-involved. Um, and that's not everyone. Like everyone's thinking about their own lot, you know. And even if it's the most amazing offer that I can't wait to buy the second I can, I might forget to do that. So definitely please remind people more than once um, to go buy yourself because it's just people are too scared, I guess, to remind people. They're like, they don't want to spam you. If they're on your email list, they click to opt in. It's not spam. They gave you permission to email them. That's okay. They want to hear from you. Um, I got an email from from someone that 
the email was very cryptic. They had an offer. And then like two months later, the offer was expiring. It's like, oh, see the first email. And it's like, I don't remember what I did yesterday, let alone what I read two months ago. So definitely do not be afraid to remind people more than once of what it is that you want them to sign up for, buy, participate in, whatever it may be. And just be very clear with your call to action. I don't want to click through five different things to get to the one thing that you're advertising. Like, just make it very clear and simple. And just don't forget to remind people. I see that all the time. Yep. Be proud of what you do and speak with clarity about it. Yes. Like, people are always trying to hide it. And I'm like, just tell me what it is. Yeah. Yeah, don't bury the lead. Um, As you'd say, like, yeah, just make sure it's out there. Yeah, especially online with people's attention spans. Like, whatever you're selling, if it's a live workshop or if it's a class online, like, it has to be the simplest process possible because every extra step involved, you are losing a chunk of people. Like, people want to click and it's done and putting lots of time and effort to making things as easy as possible so worth it in the long run. Cause even me, there's some things I tried to register for and I'm like, what? I have to fill out a Google doc and do this and do this and do this. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Payment processor. Like don't, don't, cause as soon as you're like, go to Venmo or go to PayPal and do this, I'll be like, cause you know, I, I almost forgot to do my taxes this year. Like if I forget, that, I'm probably going to forget your dance class. You know, like I was like, Oh my God, it's time. So like <laughs> so distracted. And if I picked up my phone to Venmo you and my mom texted me and then like, you just forget. So make me click, 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 done. Yes. Yeah. And even um, on the topic of, of making things easier, like if your website, again, former brand and web designer here, I still do that for select answers and stuff. But if your website takes like longer than a few seconds to load, I will click out and I, I have no patience, but it's not just me. A lot of people don't have the patience. So just make sure your website is running even if you just have one page sign like anything just make it very clear make the link very clear to access um just make that as as easy as possible because yeah people are not going to wait i'm not going to wait more than a couple of seconds for something to load and even if i really want i'll just be like i'll just do this tomorrow like i'll just most yeah. most people mm-hmm. yeah and then tomorrow the, this like you have to realize that like how much research has gone into distracting you people are gonna remember that tomorrow also like excuse my language but like make your shit easy to read on a phone look on your phone everybody's on their phone if i have to go i'm not gonna buy it yes i mentioned this in previous episode um if you have like those pop-ups right yeah on your phone it just drives me insane you can disable it for the mobile version right so if you have a bunch of things pop, like I will, again, I will click out and there are ways to make it really accessible. Most website, uh, I do this websites on Squarespace. They have a mobile version. There's no excuse nowadays to have a mobile version. Even if you don't want to do a full out website, you can do just like a one, again, a one page. It's very easy to read. Um, and yeah, make it easy to, to actually see the text and, and to read. Yeah. I think that there's like this common theme and what we're all saying, which is, if you want to become a professional at something, invest in it. Like how much for everybody who went to college, how much do you pay for it? Like this isn't a place to be cheap. And when I say invest, I don't just mean money. I also mean time. Yeah. Like get the knowledge, get the things, but like you, like you're going to pay for it with your time or your money. 
and it's going to be worth it. So you can show up and be in, in integrity with yourself. And I can guarantee you it'll probably be cheaper than paying for college in America. Ask me how I know. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, definitely invest. Um, you don't, yeah. I always tell people that, that I work with or that signed up for the digital course, a uh, digital marketing course is like, you don't have to know everything, but you have to know what you don't know, because even if you're going to hire someone to do it, you want to make sure that you're hiring the right person or you're hiring like that, you know, you know, how many people out there work with specifically with belly dancers, you need to tell them, okay, this is what I need in order for this to work for my business. Right. So you don't have to do everything, but you have to know who to hire to when you do outsource things. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome group talk. Thank you so much, ladies. Can you talk a bit more about your upcoming uh, collaboration and where people can find you? So Lisa and I love to talk about business and dance stuff. We have a lot of unique things about our, our training and experience, but we also have a lot of shared uh, opinions and experiences, both having like a lot of fitness background in our in our training that we bring into our dance classes. So we've always talked about dance business and what we wish people knew more of and stuff like this. So we came up with a really cool intensive specifically for teachers centered around all of the things that we think that a professional teacher should, should know and have to think about when they're starting out or if they're already in the business and want to really elevate themselves and their business to the next level. So we came up with it last year. We ran the first one in this, in the winter. Um, and it was such a fun experience. And even after the first one, we had so many more details that we wanted to add and it was a, an awesome experience. So we're going to be running it again. You want to talk some more about it, Lisa? Sure. So it's um, it's it's virtual. It's three days. It's Friday. Um, I'm going to talk East Coast evening, uh, Saturday and Sunday. And then a week later, we have a day where people come back and present a lesson plan. And it, it covers history, culture, lesson planning, music, um, how to run your business, how to brand, anatomy, and... Um, like how to teach different moves and um, it's interactive. It's a small group. It's um, like I said, it's all online and sort of played with, so it can at least cover like the West coast of the U S through Egypt time-wise and um, really like was an intense deep dive into figuring out what do I know and what do I not know? And then how to actually approach teaching from a planning and system standpoint where you walk away with like, a set of like, this is what I need to be doing to move forward with my teaching business. And I think what we bring to it is um, two very different dance careers that sort of cover all the things people might think about doing. I owned a studio, was a full-time dance teacher for 12 years, but really did like community-based. Obviously, everybody knows about Shahrazad's careers, but I think that what's unique is us putting those together along with the fitness, along with the business background. Yeah. And another thing that I've been thinking for a long time about doing teacher training um, programs. And one thing that I personally see lacking is a training program that's more about building your own personal skills 
as opposed to just buying someone else's curriculum. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're able to develop yourself into your own unique teacher with your own style of teaching. Um, and so often programs that really focus around a curriculum don't really go into how to be a good teacher instead of, you know, just like handing people a book full of moves and not just being a teacher, all of the other small business stuff, like stuff we were talking about today that are so important when you become a professional that you can't really learn from just getting a curriculum sold to you. Yeah. So it's August 20th to the 22nd. And then the follow-up class is the 29th. It's all recorded. You get handouts um, and you get access to us. I think last time it was six people, but we're trying to keep it at 10 and under. So um, we're super excited about it. It's fun. And it's like, I always think it's really fun to do an intensive on something because you get like obsessed with it for that weekend. So we had a lot of fun last time too. Yeah. Amazing. Sounds awesome. So for those of you listening, just look at the episode note and click on that link to sign up for that in August. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Thank you for those listening. And until next time.